What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 171. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Not a lot. Glad to see you survived your uh, wilderness adventure. How was it out there? Oh, it was phenomenal. I'm exhausted, but it was phenomenal. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about it in the It's a Fairy Tibble section, but it was really awesome. You might say you've returned from the wild or braved the wild. And I'm not dead after all. <laughs> nice. Before we jump in today's topic, though, of course, our usual housekeeping. Do check out the Discord if you're not already in there. It's the best place to be to chat all things MTG. You can come say hi to us. We've got a great community of aficionados over there. It's completely free Discord server, so do check that out. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so through Patreon. That's the best place to support the show. Huge thanks to everybody who continues to support us over there, whether you've been doing it for one month or 24 months. Uh, we really appreciate all the support we get over there. Big changes coming to the Patreon, so we're not going to list out all the perks and stuff that's kind of under construction right now. But uh, more on that as we kind of get the details solidified and come up with a new launch date. Yeah, that that's going to be great. Uh patrons by the way you look good today you do something new with your hair maybe new new like cologne or something oh, keep keep it up <laughs> good work <laughs> you see it pays to be a patron you get free compliments <laughs> all right on to our crack draft type thing ben what do we have this week all right we've got a pack one pick one for us here nothing too fancy just uh i think we got a good handle on the format by this point so let's let's see what we think first out we got mary bards I haven't minded this one. I mean, it triggers celebration. It's a little better than I thought. I mean, it is kind of a three mana, three, two vanilla, but it, it's more on four mana that it does something. So it's a little bit flexible. It does stuff in your curve and uh, young hero role is pretty good. It can put the young hero role on anything. So it's not bad on itself, but really where young hero shines is on something like a ginger brute or a three one. Uh, and then, or even like a cheap flyer, like a fairy token. And then it can get out of control. Yeah, definitely not something I'm looking at first pick, but uh, I agree. It's it's a nice middle ground card for most red decks. Stormkeld Prowler, the two mana two one. Whenever you cast something mana five or greater, it gets two one one counters. Two one one counters is kind of big, but I haven't really felt like this is doing it. Like, what's the joke that it can trade off in the early game? I'd rather play that. Uh, what what is it that that wolf the, like the two mana two three as like a defender with with higher toughness. This doesn't really do what, what those five mana value decks want to do. But I, I can see this getting big sometimes. I've seen this grow up to, to be a, a six five before. Uh then again if we're gonna be playing those go big decks, I'd rather just take Root Rider Fawn or next card. This card's awesome. Uh two mana accelerant. It's a one three blocks pretty well in the early game. Uh it even can fix your mana with that fixing ability. Love it. This card is great for the splashy decks and uh you certainly can splash in this format. Yeah, yeah, we're coming to learn that more and more, I think, and the Root Rider fonts do a good job of enabling that. So um, I think so far that's what I'm on, but we'll see how the rest of the pack shakes out. Same. Uh, next up is Wicked Visitor. That's the 2-mana two 2-2 two, two, when an enchantment is put in the graveyard. Each opponent loses one life. This one makes me sad because this is one of the vectors that just did not get there at all this one the tapping one to some extent even like the four power matters one like so many vectors in the set whiffed which is a reason why it's a little lower on my list of sets recently i think this is the worst we've had in a while to be honest but mm. it's still uh you know decently playable uh, it's just nothing to write home about and this wicked visitor i mean 
in a slightly different world where the where the knobs are twisted slightly differently and this vector is stronger this would have been a solid two drop it almost reminds me of a siege zombie right that one which ended up being an awesome recurring drain engine in like the uh the blue black zombies deck from a while back this seems to fulfill a similar role like a, a two drop you get on the board early um you start draining out but this one just like i've, I've seen this proc like twice maybe yeah i've never seen it proc so we've got spell stutter uh not spell stutter sprite but the thing itself yeah good counter I'll play it in a blue deck. Uh, better if you have a lot of fairies, but you can play this even like a, like a blue-green deck and you just need something to do on turn two to keep yourself from dying. Hollow Scavenger's next. That's the 3-mana uh, 3-2 wolf. You can sack to uh, Nantuko Husk of, of food, I guess. But, sort of. Yeah, sort of. Limited to once a turn, you have to pay mana for it, so it's pretty tame in comparison. But it also has uh, the bakery raid. That's the one-green make a food uh this one's pretty good because it lets you bargain early i mean just having like a bargain thing on turn one you're usually not doing anything else on turn one unless you're casting like wilds or whatever so uh, i guess you can just do this on turn one and then you're set to bargain for a while uh, maybe even with something on turn two or three like a uh, diminisher witch to slow their early aggro so uh yeah I, I like this one it's pretty solid in green decks you rarely cut it that type of thing you're not taking it over root rider fawn though are you no, I don't think so. I think I'm on the fawn over this. Uh, I just love the acceleration too much. Rhyme for reindeer. Man, <laughs> they really screwed over my elk here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th this thing is like, it's, it's at the, uh, the intersection of two vectors, neither of which are good. Uh, although it being a 4 mana 3-4 that's bad does make it a great inclusion in my elk commander deck. Where we look for only the worst of the worst. And this guy, I think he might have an honorary spot in that deck soon. Um, you just can't. This just doesn't really happen. Um, there's better things for the white aggro decks to do to clear away blockers. And the tap deck doesn't really exist unless you literally have Hilda. Um, so, no thanks. Feed the Cauldron, though. This one's pretty solid. The three mana uh, destroys something mana value three or less. Mana value destruction stuff is limited, and there's a couple of them in the set. The Witch's Vanity is another one. That's the, uh, the Saga that also blows up something mana value 2 or less. So if all your black removal only hits tiny things, you do run into a problem where in the late game you, you can't deal with bigger threats if all your removal's like this. So they're not as good in multiples, but you can definitely play one. And uh, making food or having the option to do this at instant speed, both of those are good. I usually do just fire this off sorcery speed, though. Um, I think, honestly, even with instant speed removal spells, you probably should do that more often. Uh, there's like the hexproof roll royal treatment uh, that can, you know, uh, stop something from getting hit by this. Uh, or if you do pass your opponent's turn, or maybe they have a sack outlet or uh, an instant speed bargain card if you try to kill a ginger brood or a token or, a, I don't know, like a gingerbread, ginger, not ginger brood, what's the other one? Tough, tough cookie or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I, I just find that there's reasons to do this at sorcery speed, and I, I usually end up doing them. I've kind of buried the lead here. There's a torch, the tower as our last common, which is yeah, well, obviously just, <laughs> yeah, I, I think universally agreed to be the best common in the set. Uh, this card's sick. I mean, sometimes you will, you will bargain just to get the scry, even while killing an X2, just because the scry on like a shock effect is just so strong. I mean, historically, one of the 
weaker aspects of red decks is that sometimes if you're playing like red green you're a little lower on card advantage right so getting to scry making sure you uh, actually find your key pieces early and on time uh that's that's pretty huge on your shock which is already you know this is a one mana deal three with upside uh that being trivial to bargain so uh yeah i love this card i don't think there's a comment i would take over it yeah, and it's really interesting to think about. I mean, obviously, we talk pretty frequently about, you know, scrying isn't drawing a card, obviously. But I will say that scry is a very nice little tempo addition to a card like this, right? Because it does let you kind of clean up your draw phase for the next turn. And that enables you to capitalize on tempo by killing the creature you know, and not backpedaling after you've killed this creature, you can kind of yeah. capitalize on the on the momentum you're building by doing that. So, yeah, Torch Tower is phenomenal, and uh, yeah, if you can't bargain something, it's still a shock. So, great. Yeah, yeah, I've fired this off as a shock plenty of times. It exiles too, and that does matter in this set sometimes. Um, just compare this to Feed the Cauldron, right? Like, right. Feed the Cauldron and Torch the Tower, they probably share like 80, 75 percent of targets, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean. That excluding like counters and stuff, although I guess most augmentations that happen in this format are rolls. I guess some rolls put it outside the range of torch, but not feed. I don't know. Still, they they share a huge overlap in what they can kill, and feed costs three times as much. <laughs> yeah, so. it's uh, and and you know, and this is one of the rare cards in the format. Obviously, it's common, but I mean, it it's one of the unique cards in the format where most of the bargain cards, you really need the bargain to make them worth playing. Yeah. And this one, you just don't, mm -hmm. <laughs> you can play this, whether you've got the bargain or not. So torch is excellent. Uh, but we've got a bit of a stacked pack next up. We've got our, uh, our ground seal, our enchanting fail uh, or, uh, enchanting tail or <laughs> whatever it is. This is, this is yeah. unplayable. I mean, even as a sort of like, I, I don't know. I I don't think the bargain decks even always want even even a deck that's like got tons of bargain stuff, uh, a bunch of brave the wilds, a bunch of like torch the towers. I don't think you want ground seal even as a two mana enchantment that cantrips. Like even even the no. beans do this, right? Uh, yeah. Well, and that's that's something I think. Right. The the there can be. I could see a lot of players convincing themselves that it's worth playing a lot of these enchanting tales cards because oh well i can just bargain it away but if you're not like it's not worth the card in your deck right we maybe yeah. should do a back to basics episode just on like deck construction and and what constitutes the like mm. being worth putting a card in your deck because that is like a real cost putting the card in your deck taking up a slot is a real cost and a lot of these bargain effects are relying on the fact that you can generate roll tokens you can generate rat tokens you can generate yeah. fairy tokens you can generate food tokens those aren't real cards that are in your deck that are taking up slots they are just kind of incidentally created by other things like a merry bards or whatever and you can get rid of them later because they're not really costing you anything mm -hmm. putting grounds in your deck is a real cost so i feel like to to kind of use the well i can bargain it away excuse the card itself needs to do something pretty real and my brain always goes to hatching plans when we're talking about that kind of thing. That's just like a phenomenal benefit you're getting. Sure, it doesn't do the anything when nuts. it hits the board, but when you bargain it away, you're going up three cards or up two cards or whatever it ends up being. So, um, yeah, Ground Seal doesn't get there for me. 
Yeah, I think if we were to make a quick tier list of the two drops that you want to be bargaining away, definitely hatching plans at the top one. If my opponent casts hatching plans, it takes a lot for me to be scared of a two mana do nothing, <laughs> like literal stone code cold do nothing. But that one is there. Prophetic Prism is up there too, and Beans are up there too. I, I think I would rank Seal uh, the lowest out of all of those and, and plans at yeah. the top. Yeah, I don't even think it's close. Now, we've actually got a card that fulfills a pretty similar role as our first uncommon. This one's maybe even better, though. Welcome to Sweet Tooth. This is the saga. First chapter, you make a 1-1 human. Second chapter, you make a food. Third chapter, you put X 1-1 counters on a creature you control where X is the number of foods you control plus one. So you've already got, I mean, what, two counters coming from this guaranteed. It is telegraphed. You know, so maybe your opponent holds up their torch to the tower or feed the cauldron to kill whatever you're going to put the counters on. But even if you have like one or two other ways to make food in your deck, sometimes it'll just happen that this, the third chapter of this is just put three counters on a creature. And when your opponent doesn't have removal, it's, it's brutal. I've seen this just make a four for it, random. If you combine this with some of the other premier green uncommons like uh, Gingerbread Hunter or uh, uh, Tough Cookie, Tough Cookie and this pair super ridiculously well together. I mean, this kind of a theme here, you know, the food vector, it's, it's got some juice. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I take welcome to sweet tooth over towards the tower though. Personally, I haven't really played these green decks, so I don't know how needed this card is. I mean, it's, it's a pretty solid two, two mana play, right? Uh, you're doing this on turn two. It's a little delayed, but at least you get the creature up front. Yeah, I mean, it's a solid card. I still think I just take Torch the Tower, though. And I don't know so what we, the 17 lands data is on these, so maybe the mm -hmm. data would say to take Sweet Tooth, but... I mean, we have... This is one of the top uncommons in the set, but then we have Torch, which is one of the top commons in the set, so... <laughs> uh, yeah. Curious to hear what, what the pick order for that would be. I don't know. Maybe we can hit up all the uh, the pros from their, their, their Vegas uh, pick orders. We've got an uncommon here that's a little underwhelming in comparison. Boundary Lands Ranger, the two mana 2-2. Two, two. Beginning combat on your turn. If you have a four power creature, you get to rummage. Another card I don't think I've ever seen proc. Yeah, this is usually is just vanilla 2-2 two, two for two that I'm just not interested in. Yeah, it's a neat design. Honestly, could go in the draft trap cube. This is along could a couple of that. our vectors. It kind of flew under the radar at first, but uh, this one might actually work because we have the four power vector. Um, we also have a, like a graveyard vector that kind of touches upon madness. red and rummaging is pretty good. Yeah. Madness. This is a, Ooh, 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 this and like, yeah. what's that worm, that worm that like you madness out. It's like a five mana four, four, but you can madness it for three. That pairs pretty oh, well yeah. with this. Yeah, although I guess, nuts. yeah, the four mana. All right. All right. Let's put a pin in that one. Uh, yeah. this unfortunately is not the draft shaft cube. So not really something we want to be. <laughs> <laughs> picking here uh, i i mean the red aggressive decks are good but this is not what you want to be doing you want to be going wide making rats uh the, the the four power stuff like it doesn't need the help now could i interest you in a uh in a slightly better red uncommon maybe an imidane's recruiter slightly better <laughs> uh yeah windmill slam imidane's recruiter i don't care what the rare is we're moving on <laughs> well are you sure what if, I'm, what just if it's, I'm just kidding what if there's something really good i mean it could be one of the three to four rares that are better than imidane's recruiter <laughs> there are only about four of them so yeah uh 
generally speaking, I don't really care what the rare is. I guess we should look at it, but Imanane's Recruiter is a phenomenal card. You don't even have to be red-white for it to be awesome. Even just in a red deck of it, paired with anything else, it's really, really good. In a white deck, you're going to splash red for this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah I and mean, in white-red in particular, just you just win every game you cast it or, or just right. about... What you win like two thirds of the game? We'll we'll chat about the data specifics later. But honestly, given these uncommons and a blind rare, it would absolutely be correct to take Imidane's Recruiter every single time. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Recruiter is is obviously awesome. And wait a minute, is it our draft draft hero episode today? That's I don't that, know what you're that, talking about. What's the rare? <laughs> it's a bramble familiar. Uh, whatever. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do like this card. <laughs> And I'm I'm calling this is going to be in contention for your uh, card you most likely want as a pet. The Bramble Familiar? Yeah. Look at it. It's a cute little raccoon. It's an it elemental raccoon. It is a cute raccoon. little raccoon, but there are otters in this set, dude. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. There are a couple otters. So, all right. I take that back. This one's up there, though, for me. This one's pretty cute. Uh, also, a bit of a standard all-star. Saw some play at Worlds. Uh, yeah, yeah. He even has inspired this wacky cascade uh invasion of alara deck a pretty key part of that fine and limited too i found this one especially good if you have other bombs in your deck you really want big hits with the uh the fetch quest especially if you're going to be trying to ramp up to it with stuff like root rider fawn uh I, I did play this one in a deck where i had the dragon the uh was it hell, hell kite scorcher scorcher mm -hmm. region whatever that thing's called mm -hmm. the, the six mana mythic uh which you do want to bargain so that it floats mana but I mean, even hitting it off Bramble Familiar, I found this to be pretty good. You know, I cast Bramble Familiar for the Fetch Quest version, found my 4-6 Flying Haste, and then immediately swung in with it, and, and that was pretty sick. So this one pairs well with other, like, 5-6 mana drops. I mean, if you have a Gruff Triplet, you'll get this. But otherwise, it is just the 2-mana two 2-2 two -two that taps for green with upside. And that's fine to put in any deck, but I would not take it over Imidane's Recruiter I'm not entirely sure I would take it over Welcome to Sweet Tooth or Torch the Tower either. It, it's pretty close. If, if Imidane's Recruiter wasn't in this pack, between Sweet Tooth, Torch the Tower, and Bramble Familiar, I think that's actually pretty close between all three of them. Mm. I'm not sure what the data says, but I'm curious to hear what the listener thinks in the Discord. Yeah, I'm inclined to take... Um... Just from a comfort level perspective, again, I haven't played much of these green decks. I would probably take Torch the Tower over the Familiar and the Sweet Tooth just because, again, I'm more comfortable with those decks. But I think I'd take Familiar over Sweet Tooth because it does seem a little more flexible in that it's one of those rare sort of uh, adventure cards that even though it's costed backwards, where the adventure is more expensive than the creature, it actually gives you the ability to play the adventure after you've played the creature because you can yeah. get this back to hand and kind of do that. So... Um, it just feels right from a curve perspective. I think most green decks would probably rather have the ramp than they would this sort of aggro-esque play from the Sweet Tooth. I really think the Sweet Tooth only seems to fit in like one or two green decks and the Bramble Familiar fits into way more. I think Sweet Tooth is a little better. I think it is just pretty good mid-range, but I haven't been having a lot of success with all my mid-range piles that I've been trying. I think I need to play more best of three. I think the more mm -hmm. I play best of one, the more I kind of get flattened by streamlined decks. I think I need to need to do some tuning, you know, between rounds. I, I do find I perform better in best of three overall. I actually have a knock against Bramble Familiar, a, a quick story time. Uh, I was being attacked by a 
six five uh and it just a vanilla six five i don't remember the creature or whatever uh and i block with bramble familiar you can activate its bounce to hand at instant speed so i was like all right this is sick i'm gonna like block with my familiar bounce it to hand fetch quest next turn this is the same deck where i was playing that and the dragon and i was like i only have like 20 cards left in deck decent chance to hit the dragon like a third chance to hit and then i would just like swing for lethal uh <laughs> i i bounced to hand after I block bounce to hand, my opponent they use the uh, the were fox to instant speed adventure a monster roll onto their now unblocked six five, <laughs> and I just took seven lethal trample on the spot. The trample now going through because uh, I didn't have a blocker, so that was rough. <laughs> nice, but a pretty sick play on my opponent's part. Got to got to hand it to him for that one. Well, and they had the rare too. I mean, the the were fox bodyguards are rare, so. Oh, oh no! This was the um, the, the just the the common, uh, that that puts a monster oh. roll at instant speed. So oh, oh, I'm thinking of the yeah, the the bodyguard that like locks stuff down. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they just like gave their now unblocked six five one one and trample, and uh, yeah. that was enough to kill me. So anywho, all right, on to our to fairy table. This is a roses and thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. I'll slow roll, Ben. What's going on with you this week? <laughs> Well, uh, Worlds was pretty cool. I enjoyed watching that. It was uh, fun to see what was happening at the highest levels. You know, always good watching those pros draft. Uh, been learning some modern, learning some standard, trying to pick things up. Look, it's no secret that this isn't my favorite set of all time. I'm still drafting it. Not as much as I would a set that I enjoyed more, but, you know, it's, it's fine. The real Teferi that I have from this past weekend, I went to a Paw Paw Festival. Are you familiar with the pawpaw fruit? I am not. <laughs> I thought this was going to be something to do with pets. <laughs> no, no, th- this sounds like nonsense. Uh, I-, I cannot wait to hear if listeners have heard of this in Discord, but uh, it's a fruit. It grows wild in North America. It's, it's called America's like forgotten super fruit. And it's 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 absurd. I went down a rabbit hole with this thing. My brother, who you know, he... Uh, He's a bit of an environmentalist. He likes like growing his own food and he wanted to get some trees. So we drove three hours in a torrential downpour, that hurricane that was up here, which you missed. Mm-hmm. Lucky you. Uh, we like hydroplaned all the way to this pawpaw festival. <laughs> Thousands of people still came in a torrential downpour for this fruit. Now, the thing is, it has no shelf life. Uh, it, it, it goes bad instantly. You have to eat it within a couple of days of picking it. And it, like, it's hard to refrigerate and uh, you can't stack it because it bruises and dents too easily. So it, it's impractical to ship. You, you really have to just pick it and eat it. So most people have never even heard of this thing. You never see them in stores, but they're healthier for you than everything. They're, they have like more potassium than bananas, more vitamin C than oranges. Like they're, mm. they're, they're really good for people. Uh, but they're just impossible to get a hold of. <laughs> so anyway, I went to this this pawpaw festival where I learned so much. There are master growers and orchards, and I had pawpaw chutney, pawpaw cookies, pawpaw vodka, everything you can imagine. Uh, anywho, uh, I, I, I learned so much. I'm now a, a diehard pawpaw enthusiast. Uh, so wait, did your brother buy the the trees then? Oh like, yeah, does it grow I'm, on trees. I'm guess. I'm guessing. Okay. Yeah, they do. So hopefully next year they'll uh, they'll be fruiting and we don't have to drive three hours to go to the next one. So my tibble this uh, this week was that it's cold. 
it got cold here in the time that you've been gone. It's now going into the 40s overnight. And uh, with the changing weather, I myself have a bit of a cold. Hopefully it's not too audible, but I really don't want to get sick because being a teacher getting sick, that somehow means when you take off, it ends up being more work. So uh, hoping to not get sick. Well, if it makes you feel any better, uh, this time next week, we'll be in the 80s. So <laughs> really? All right. Yeah, that's nice. Which probably means I'm going to get sick because my body doesn't <laughs> handle drastic changes in temperature very well. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you have a, uh, a buried lead to uncover here. I, I suppose I do. Uh, yeah, I was away last week. Um, the listener probably wouldn't recognize it because we're good at our jobs and we got an episode out last week oh, and yeah. this week. <laughs> um, though, if you're paying attention to the YouTube channel, you'll know that I didn't upload the episode until very late in tisk, the week tisk. because look, I was dealing with, we had like a massive Wi-Fi outage at the Airbnb I was at. And so like we just lost internet for like two days, which was great because I didn't want to be on my phone or anything. But at the same time, it meant I, had a really hard time getting everything posted um that's a good break to be on though like it's a it's a forced like internet detox that's that sounds beneficial in the circumstances yeah, you're in no i i appreciated it overall um but yeah the trip was phenomenal um i was gone eight days in zion national park well that's not entirely accurate the trip was eight days long but we did one day one day in vegas uh a few days in zion one day at the grand canyon um, so yeah, it was really awesome. We did all the major hikes, um, the subway, which is about a nine mile hike out and back. Um, and it ends in the section they call the subway where there are like these pools that you can swim through. And at the end of it, there's like a, a big waterfall kind of thing. Um, looking it up. I haven't heard of it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that it, looks it's really sick. cool. It's really, really cool. Um, the subway part, like probably what you're seeing pictures of yeah, is the very end of it. it it's like the last. 500 feet or so <laughs> i see what they call it that um, and you could just swim in this yeah you can just swim in it um you have to swim through it it's too deep to like step through wow um but it was really cool i was really disappointed i didn't bring my gopro on this trip because the footage would have been awesome but mm. um got some good pictures so we did that the first day then we did this other hike called canara falls which is like a three and a half mile hike most of which is up a service road so it's calling it a hike is kind of a stretch um, but that goes kind of up a river and then there are a bunch of other waterfalls you can see the downside to that. And Ben, you'll appreciate this cause you have a surfing background. Um, the downside was the water was 40 degrees. Ooh, so it hurt. That's cold. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really cold. Like it genuinely stung when the water splashed on you and then you have to walk through it. To That'll get to kill some you. The falls. So it was, it was very cold. Yeah. And we had a, a, one of the guys with us was like, well, you can actually get hypothermia at any temperature below 94 degrees. So, and we were just like, all right, shut up. It's, uh, <laughs> it's cold, whatever. Um, Wednesday we did angels landing, which apparently is one of the most dangerous hikes in the world. Um, that is about four and a half miles, a little more than four and a half miles with 1800 feet of elevation gain. And most of that is up like switchbacks and stuff. Oh, I've heard of this one. Yeah, with the with the chain along the one side, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So you go up these switchbacks for most of it, and then at the at the once you get to the part, not the top, but more than halfway up, um, there's a section where you need a permit to get through. They never used to permit it, but too many people died, so they started permitting it. Jeez. And you get a permit, and then you go through this section that is, yeah, you're scaling the side of a cliff. You just hold onto a chain. 
find footholds wherever you can find them and hope to not fall basically i'm um, looking at the picture this looks like even even if you are pretty competent at hiking like if you slip <laughs> there's not a lot you can yeah. do yeah well if you slip it's all upper arm strength like you're just hoping that the chains hold you and you can hold <laughs> on to the chains until you can get a grip again um but the view at the top of it is breathtaking. I've never seen anything so beautiful. I had to repeatedly remind myself I was still on planet Earth. Like it was sick. Incredible. Um Thursday we went to the Grand Canyon, which is much bigger in person than I expected it to be. Oh yeah. I've been it's, to that one. It's big, huge. Big hole. Um Yeah, we were on the North Rim and I hear the South hmm. Rim is more interesting, but um still very fun. We went to this place called Horseshoe Bend, which uh was another kind of cool it's like a big rock in the middle of a river that makes a horseshoe shape um also very cool and then friday we did uh the last of the big zion hikes called the narrows which is essentially i think it was eight or nine miles round trip about six of which is just up and back in a big river um but there's like nowhere to go on the sides like you can't there's no riverbed it's just canyon walls and you're mm -hmm. in a river the narrows, so, right? Right, yeah. So um, I couldn't find Arkham Asylum, but uh, <laughs> Dark Knight humor. Um, well, I guess the Batman begins. Anyway, uh, that one was really cool as well. Luckily, the water temperature was a bit more manageable than the Kanara Falls hike. Um, but I'd never done anything like this, so it was really cool. At one point, the water was chest deep, so you're just like trucking through, through this river. Most yeah. of the time, it was like mid-shin up to waist depending on where you were at um, what did you have to wear like i wore a bathing suit waterproof hiking shoes and neoprene socks so neoprene's kind of if you're listening and don't know the neoprene's essentially what they make wetsuits out of and it's designed to like hold a layer of water close to your body so that it warm your body temperature warms that part of the water up and then the cold water getting in doesn't really get in because you've got a layer of warm water against your body um that's pretty much all i wore and then like for the chest high part, I just like picked my shirt and bag up and just kind of like held it above me. Hmm. It wasn't like a long stretch that was that deep. Um, maybe only 50 feet or so. Uh, and then the rest of it was, like I said, waist to mid shin. Um, but that was, we got there at like 9.45 a.m. and we didn't get home until like 7 p.m. So it was a really Whoa. long, really long uh, trip, but really awesome. And the weather was phenomenal the whole time. Um, I recognize the rest of the East Coast wasn't doing so hot. <laughs> you you uh, dodged gone, some good weather here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've had a good set of trips lately with that. I was in Chicago and like all the wildfire stuff was going on in New York. Oh, yeah. And then like I was away for this. So yeah. But yeah, the trip was awesome. All that said, my Tybalt is that I'm kind of exhausted. Like we didn't really take any breaks. So I'm more tired than I expected to be coming home from that. But it's the good kind of exhausted where like this, this was one of the few trips I've done that I left feeling like I did everything. Like I didn't feel like I missed anything. So I feel really good about that. Um, so I just need to recoup a little bit and I'll be good to go. Sweet. All right. On to our listener question of the week. This one's sort of a long one. We've got a little bit of a preamble, but the question comes from Nathan. If you want to submit a question, you can do so in the listener questions channel on the discord. But Nathan says the Wildsville drain card, not dead after all, definitely gives a horror movie vibe specifically where like the killer would come back for one final scare after the survivors think they're safe. 
Seeing that we're eventually getting a new horror theme set with Duskmorn House of Horror, I wondered if that card may see a reprint there. If so, that would mean the return of Aura Rolls, because that card generates the, the roll tokens. Not all of the current rolls really fit thematically into a horror set, so what new rolls would you create to capture the mood? You know, this is great because, you know, we're starting off spooky season strong. <laughs> it's, 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 what, by the time this episode comes out, basically October. We could call it October close enough, which is one of my favorite times of year. So uh, I watch a lot of horror movies. Not so many, like, jump scary, but I, I like the more, like, cerebral, like, Jordan Peele style horror. Like, Nope is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, so I would say there are some tropes that I think we can create roles for. Uh, first to die would be one of them, right? Like the, the, the one who does something mm. so stupid that it, it just gets them killed. Uh, maybe not like a patient zero, but more like, uh, someone who like goes up to the person who's acting a little weird, who's clearly a zombie, but they're like, Hey buddy, what's up with you? You know, uh, that person, maybe like the fool role. Uh, I would mm. say it would have to be like, uh, Maybe it gives them vanishing. <laughs> it gives them like vanishing too. Uh, so they have a couple turns to stick around and then they just, you know, they get sacked. They go away. Uh, maybe like a lone survivor role would be the next, like the opposite end of the spectrum could give, I guess word is already done. We can't make it too strong with something like hexproof or indestructible. Hmm, I don't know. How, how would you make something stick around for a while without making it too busted? Maybe it gains like Defender and Ward 2? I don't know. So, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because then the question could be, can we get away with um, maybe having functional reprints of roles, but you just change what they're called, right? So, like, uh, you could still have one that gives plus one, plus one, and Ward 1. Mm -hmm. But you just call it, it's just not called the same thing. Um, to like fit the yeah. theme of the set. I I you know, guess, I don't think wizards would ever do this, but you could go with you know the the um there's like a there's a character trope and I took a horror film class in college so maybe this isn't oh, cool. common knowledge, but there's there's like a set of character standards that that most horror films follow. So you'll see characters that represent like certain things. You kind of alluded to this earlier. I can't remember all of them, but you could just name them after those. And they're typically, like you said, there's one that's like the first to die. There's one that's like usually the last to die. Um, the survivor. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's like the one muscle that has to sometimes. like encapsulate in, uh, innocence. Uh, um, yeah. So maybe it's something like that. I don't know that wizards would ever do that like verbatim, but um, maybe. I'm almost thinking a lot of these ones have been a lot of our existing roles have been aggressive and like assertive, right? They all give plus one, plus one and something. And because you do them at, I mean, some instant speed, but a lot of them at sorcery speed, uh, it's more of an aggressive slanted mechanic. We didn't see any that would maybe give like plus O plus two, right? Like I could see yeah. a plus O plus two defender first strike role um that just well that might be too strong but like th then it, it creates this like brick wall that can't be gotten through maybe that's like i don't know the doomsday prepper right the one who, mm. who actually is prepared for all this has the stash of 
canned goods and bats with nails through them, that type of thing. Uh, there's also sort of like the muscle role in yeah. particular. I'm now thinking of like Train to Busan in particular, <laughs> uh, which is a great zombie movie. I'm thinking of uh, whatever that guy's name is. Uh, I'm blanking on his name, but the I muscle, seen it, right? So. Oh, you'd like it. It's a, it's a good one. Uh, the one who kind of partway through, I guess there's also like a, there's a team of baseball players in that one. And they're, they're sort of like the muscle, like the jocks who kind of uh, take charge and, and try to push through uh, with baseball bats and such. I, I definitely think there, there could be a child role involved somehow. Like, I don't know. I guess we got young hero already. <laughs> maybe, maybe it gets like plus, maybe it gets like minus one, minus one to represent like it being a little younger and like flying or something because it's, it's a little mm. more flighty or minus one, minus one unblockable. I don't know. We, we could do a whole lore deep dive on this, but I, I'd be curious to see if they do a, a trope type uh, mechanic. I don't know if we'll see literal roles again, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm a little down on mechanics that require additional cardboard to explain mm. that, that being like this and the, the ring and uh venturing into dungeons I, I i do miss the days of simple sets where you could just you know understand everything about the way a card works just by looking at the card itself and the, the roles we're getting a little bit of complexity creep that uh, i don't know it, it, especially so this set it, it hit a particular note for me i'm gonna soapbox for just 30 seconds and oh then I'll, I'll get down <laughs> uh th this set hit like just the right note of complexity creep to, to bother me a little bit because it has some very complicated mechanics and tracking things tracking roles is a bit of a nightmare in paper it's fine on arena right they work similar to counters but it also whiffs on so many other aspects so it's both more complex and has less options somehow it, it, it created more work for you as a player to understand what's happening but then it kind of pulls back and says, oh, actually, you don't need to understand most of that stuff. This is a more complicated set. But once you actually like understand all of it, there's actually only a handful of things that you should be doing. So all that stuff with tapping and stuff going to the graveyard, you can ignore all that, right? You can just say, okay, I'm going to draft like red beatdown decks, maybe green black food decks, the occasional five color nonsense deck. But like the tapping stuff, the graveyard stuff, the four power stuff, none of that means anything. The, the enchanting tales, like 75% yeah. of them are downright bad to put in your deck. And 10% uh, of them are like just okay. So I don't know. The, the set is very complex with rules, but it just doesn't deliver on the complexity. You know what I'm, I, I've, gone, yeah, I've gone past think, my 30 I seconds. I, I think I understand what you're saying. I don't know. I, I honestly think for something like this, they could even just do, I mean, it doesn't solve the complexity problem, but they could just double tap on the, the monster role and just make that more specific. So instead of just being like plus one, plus one trample, it's like, what kind of monster? Maybe you turn it into a ghost. It changes the creature type, becomes a spirit, Ooh. gets like plus one, plus one and flying or something like you were that saying could be cool. earlier. Maybe it becomes a werewolf and it still gives it trample, but it's like plus two, plus one or something. I don't, I don't know. Um, maybe uh maybe i'm just secretly upset that they managed to make a fully auras themed set without giving bruna a single piece of good tech because <laughs> <laughs> somehow enough. they pulled it off
All right, let's get on to our main topic this week. And as Ben alluded to earlier, this is our Draft Draft Hero episode for Wilds of Eldraine. So we're going to talk. I don't think it's any secret. We kind of let the cat out of the bag like weeks wait, wait, ago. Wait. Do the drum roll. <laughs> oh, yeah, we have a drum roll now. We can do that. We have the power. Uh, listener, while you wait, think about what it might be. What, what the, All right, here what we the go. Draft Draft Hero might be. The Draft Draft Hero for Wilds of Eldraine is... <laughs> Imidane's recruiter. Hey, who would have who would have thought? Also, trained troops <laughs> to a lesser extent. And well, both... yeah, they do go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. Hard to uh, hard to cast one without at least thinking of casting the other. So we've got Imidane's recruiter here. For those that might not be familiar, uh, it's two and a red for a two-two human knight at uncommon, a creature, of course. Uh, it says Imidane's re- recruiter when it enters the battlefield, creatures you control get plus one plus zero oh, and gain haste until end of turn. And it has an off-color adventure, train troops four and a white, create two, two, two white knight creature tokens with vigilance. And then of course this goes on an adventure and you can cast it later from exile. So just th- this card as a package, we called this one being pretty solid early on. We didn't know how good this would be. Like, <laughs> this card is sick. No, and I think we actually downplayed it a little bit. Ben made the joke in the format breakdown that this was just an expensive heroic reinforcements. And I think I made a joke about it being like an extremely expensive heroic reinforcements. I kind of downplayed it thinking it wouldn't be as good as heroic reinforcements. And this format, it's just as good, if not better. I don't know if it can be better, but the the options of being able to cast it in different decks and things maybe makes it better. Um, technically this is a monocolored card if you need it to be so you can get around like color constraints and just playing this as a creature in most aggressive decks especially like the black red decks that can go really wide really fast i mean playing this on turn like four as a three drop that just buffs your board and gets swings in is really good the Mm -hmm. other thing that i would say is one thing at least that i didn't catch with this card right off the front was that when you train troops with this at on five, you make the two two twos. Most of the decks that are playing this card can then play two drop recruiter, give the two drop haste, swing with everything, and that's just like okay, stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and somehow you're always, you always hope that you're like okay, if they all right, they cast train troops, and you're like all right, I can stabilize as long as they only play the recruiter and they don't have anything else. And they always have something else. Of course, yeah. Well, I even did the math wrong just there. If you hit your land drop, you would play troops on five, play a three drop, and the recruiter on six. Yeah, yeah. And that's just game over most of the time. Because then, also, again, in the black in the black red decks, that three drop is like a voracious vermin that ETBs to make another rat or does something stupid. I guess that one dies into a rat. Whatever. You're making more than one creature, and then your recruiter is buffing all of them. It just gets very difficult to handle how wide these boards can get with the pump and then giving whatever else you're playing haste. And obviously the recruiter itself too. Yeah, I once had an opponent go train troops into um, Pie Wielder plus Emidane's recruiter. Oh, which no. Which didn't win that game. <laughs> uh, no, but how, are you, how would you? Even, even without these, these little mini combos we're talking about, Recruiter is an army in a can, right? I mean, this this makes three bodies in one card. And historically, making multiple pieces of cardboard for one piece of cardboard is good. I mean, how many things in this format can represent nine, or in any format for that matter, can represent nine hasty power? 
like just just within one card. And this thing is so flexible because it's a three drop. It's a five drop. It's a five drop that curves into this plus something else on the turn after. It's an eight drop too. Like you can cast both of these in one turn. I've seen it done, right? Uh, sometimes it does even save the best for last by casting Recruiter after the trained troops. A bunch of three twos attacking just so happens to be a, a solid stat line in this format. Where before you get to the, the like real four toughness things, that tends to be like the four, the five drops, and uh, both red and white have access to some strong removal spells that can easily deal with those. So, you know, sure, you can play this on turn five, it's good, but you can also just play this on turn three, right? Just if you need to, if you need a three drop in your red aggressive deck, I mean, just a three mana, three, two haste that also buffs your other stuff. That that's always been a good card, <laughs> yeah. Uh, even without the other stuff attacked onto it, um, and that that's not even saying like you know when you start building to make that that buff beneficial, right? Like when you have four rats on the board, uh, we said at the beginning of the format that rats are best when your opponent's at low life total or when you can augment them uh, and make them like real creatures that your opponent actually has to block and interact with. Nothing feels worse than when they have to trade off their like two two with a two one rat because they're just going to die otherwise, right? Yeah, and the rats decks have all these other little levers they can pull to make the the rats better as well. So if you've got any of those going before the recruiter hits the board, then it's just that much harder for them to deal with. And I think you know a lot of the times these types of cards are good, but they're kind of glass cannony in that. You swing out Mathis for blockers. I didn't really check if I need to, if I'm going to win this turn. Maybe they find a way. They've got a card in hand that lets them do interact with the combat math a little bit, and they end up surviving the turn. And then I die on the crackback. Mm-hmm. This card makes vigilant creatures, so you don't even have that <laughs> as an out when you're seeing this again on the other side of the table. So you know you just you just feel awful when this is played against you, no matter what. Let happens. me tell you. I once had a uh, like an Esper control deck. I thought it was really cool. I was like, I'm doing it. I've got the prophetic prisms. I had two threadbind clicks in hand. The one with the adventure that kills target tapped creature. Yeah, <laughs> and my opponent, at those. my opponent cast trained troops. And I'm like, how am I, su- how am I going to lose a game where I have two <laughs> threadbind clicks in hand? I like this, this is, this is absurd. Like even just that little, that little extra tick of, of power attached on these by making them vigilant. I mean, sometimes you just get them with that. Also, uh, you know, this kind of goes without saying, but the two knights, when they both enter, that does auto-trigger celebration. So yep. you're getting that celebration just right off the bat. And th- now the, the three-mana 2-2, two, two, that's not the most resilient body in the world, right? That can die to plenty of removal. But it's the ETB that has a lot of the good value. Sometimes when you cast this, it doesn't matter what they end up killing. Usually they have to point their removal at their biggest thing that's attacking at that point like a four or five or like a five four attacking uh, thing sometimes this will even just make it through and sometimes this thing you want it to die when you attack with it because you can just get it back with return triumphant and then it gives all your stuff one oh in haste again and then you attack and put and like trigger a celebration again to, <laughs> yeah yeah or even like back for seconds in the black red decks if you're splashing the white part or even just playing this in, as as the front half uh this card does it all right and and this is this card screams draft chaff hero right because this is let's be honest this isn't going to see constructed play not unless something really wacky happens in standard i saw those worlds decks there's some power flying around like this card is awesome limited but it's no atraxa right and and 
this card will get left on the draft tables. Poor guy, right? <laughs> like this card is is so much fun to play with, so cool to cast, does really unique things, makes these red white beatdown decks tick, and is kind of the difference between like an okay red white deck that you're like, mm, I don't know if I'm going to get there all the time. But if you've like one or two of these things, you're like, my deck is awesome. It's so consistent. Oh, yeah. I have stuff to do at every point in the curve. Uh, and I have this top deck of, oh, I just win now. It's also a card in a lot of ways that warps the draft format. Whether that's a good thing or bad thing, I'm not necessarily going to to make a statement on here. But it, if you see this passing around the table in any capacity, if you if anybody passes this to you, after pick one <laughs> um unless it's like maybe pack two or three and it's very clear your opponent's not on red or white or anything that would play either of those colors like that says a lot about the how open either of those colors are in this format i don't pass this card pretty much ever yeah if i'm touching yeah. those colors in any capacity and it will warp the way that you draft the rest of your deck if you're in like you know maybe you're mostly red and you're like not sure if you're building something that's closer to like a red blue deck with the like a spells theme or a red white deck with some creatures and you get an imidane's recruiter like you just throw all the blue cards away and you're just like all right we're we're doing this going heavy yeah. on on trying to pick up as many two and three drops as i can and and make this kind of aggressive thing happen because recruiter is just that good and getting to cast both sides of it is just that much better <laughs> yeah. than getting to cast either of the halves on their own I'm at the point in Limited where, I mean, even just in Lord of the Rings, we saw Rally at the Hornburg, which is like a baby recruiter, right? It, it makes the two one ones, gives your humans haste, has some, you know, similar aspects to this. We've also seen heroic reinforcements overperform. This is, I, I, I think these three are, are siblings, right? Uh, we've got the baby yeah. brother, we've got the uh, the middle child, and then this is the the older brother coming in to show him what's done. Honestly, I think I'm going to start looking at effects like this with, you know, uh, a little more respect almost. And the next time we see a card in Limited that makes multiple bodies, gives them haste and maybe pumps them or some combination of those aspects, I think it's time to take these cards slightly more seriously, which is already pretty seriously, right? Like you look at Rally and, and you look at uh, Heroic Reinforcements and you go, that's a good rate. Like you're getting your mana's worth. But I think now it's time to start looking at these as, oh, this could be one of the best cards in the set. Like, just look at how all three of these have been some of the top performing cards in their format. And that's just what they do every time. Like, a, a version of this effect has never been printed, to my knowledge, where it wasn't highly effective in its format. Yeah, none come to mind for me either. So let's, uh, let's chat data. You know, thanks to 17 lands data, we have a pretty good idea of just how good Imidane's Recruiter is. And right now, by game and hand win rate, we have the top couple cards in the set. Right now, Gruff Triplets is still at the top with a nearly 70% win rate at 68.9%. Uh, below that virtue of Persistence, the Black Virtue Mythic, 66.5. Red Cap Gutter Dwellers, the format of 3-3 that makes rats, and you can sack stuff to free cast and put counters at 64%. Then the Realm Scorcher, the Big Dragon, Fawn's Bane Troll, 63, Lord Skitter, uh, Virtue of Loyalty a little below that. And uh, right there at number eight, there it is, Imidane's Recruiter, just below some of the top mythics and rares in the set. So only of like, what, seven cards, a very short list, and mostly mythics that you would take over this, uh, this Draft Shaft Hero. Yeah, um, 
pretty surprising, and it's, it's above Lo- uh, Horned Lockwell, which if you've gotten to play with that card, you know how amazing that can be. Yeah, that's um, sick. And honestly, I mean, it's not entirely surprising, but it has dropped a little bit. It was at like top four early on in the format. Yeah. Um, but still very handily in the top 10. And I don't expect it to drop out of the top 10 before the format rotates off arena. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it's, it's incredible to see a card like this doing so well against you know, in the company of these like mythics and rares, because these are really get game breaking rares and mythics in a lot of ways. I mean, most of these are very grown testy where you're just like, Oh, they have that. And yeah. they a recruiter follow suit. Right. It's, uh, <laughs> it's another one where you see them play that and you're just like, of course, except it's an uncommon. So everybody's got one. <laughs> I, uh, I may have mentioned this on the show before, but I had a game where my opponent cast the, the front half train troops. And then I untapped, played a gruff triplets, and I was at like two life. They untapped, played the recruiter itself, swung, and I was forced to block every single one of the recruiter <laughs> with every single part of the triplets. And it, it fully traded. This card, I watched it with my own eyes, fully trade with a gruff triplets. And th- that says something, right? That, that's a niche case that won't come up too often. Uh, but that, that is a pretty cool data point to have. And they ended up winning the game from that point. They, they were playing red and I wasn't. So, you know, uh, interestingly here, uh, if, if you sort by games drawn win rate, so games in which you drew it uh, not in your opening hand, it's actually number four in the set, but it's number 17 by opening hand win rate. So hmm. to me, this kind of implies that it's best when you get to, and look, this is me just hypothesizing off of this observation from the data. I'm, uh, Hard to say for sure, but my hypothesis is that it's best to cast trained troops before casting yeah. uh, the recruiter itself, because in, in games in hand, um, in your opening hand, most people will probably end up playing it out turn three, turn four as the, the just the recruiter side. Right. And it's still fine. Yeah. there, Right. I mean, three mana, three, two haste that maybe buffs you other things if you have on the board. Good card. But clearly it's when it's drawn in the late game that it just breaks a stall wide open or it, it helps you stabilize against maybe a, a beatdown deck that uh, and then you start attacking with vigilance and then you cast the other half and then you get a bunch of damage in and then that makes your other aggro cards all turn on again in a spot where maybe they'd gotten shut off because you'd fallen behind so this card does seem to ironically do a little better in the longer games in the red white deck where it comes off the top helps you push through like the black green decks uh mid-rangey threats so really cool card uh even within this red white vector yeah and i think yeah my i had similar observations or similar thoughts with this this data right if if i'm seeing that what that's telling me is too many people are playing it on three or somewhere close to that Mm. as a three drop and getting in for you know maybe they go maybe they're lucky and they go one drop two drop imidane's recruiter get in you know three extra damage and that's fine but historically these types of effects heroic reinforcements um even rally and obviously uh recruiter as well these cards perform best when you have as wide a board as possible and you're pressuring your opponent's life total such that if they don't block they die and yeah um right because these don't give trample so they need to make good blocks and you need to kind of have enough creatures on board to still get through even when they do their blocks um 
so yeah, definitely seems like a card that that you would want to play later, and I'm glad to see the data supporting that. Notably, it has an average last seen at uh, of 3.05. So uh, on average, this card, it does go around some. Like it's not always getting taken out of every single pack it's seen in. It's not some obscene rare like that you can splash right away. And yeah, sometimes you're off vector, right? I mean, if you're playing super dedicated black green, I have actually splashed this card in black green, but there might be like a gingerbread hunter in the pack and you might be like, well, I don't need Imidane's Recruiter. It's not the most on vector. So sometimes it will come around, right? Uh, in, in pack one, that's maybe a little less common, but it, it does make it a little further than some of the other rares in the set. So do keep your eyes open for this and know that, as Zach mentioned earlier, it can influence your draft decisions. Yeah, and then also I'll just throw out again, like we mentioned, this is in terms of games and hand win rate, this is eighth on the list, which means there are only seven cards above this numbers wise that you should be taking first pick. Um, which means most of the time just take him and answer if you open it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's rarely wrong. Now let's chat about some of the vectors that this card shows up in. Not a very extensive list. It's not one of the more flexible draft trap heroes we've had, but it, look, it's powerful, right? Red white is obviously the best home for this. So this is the second best vector in the set. This this red white beatdown deck. Uh, it's a little lower, at least literally red white. Uh, as a color pair, it's a little below uh, black green at the moment, according to the 17 lands data. It's a very strong vector, though. I mean, it's it's one of the top. It's it's number two. I do think this makes sense, though. I mean, you've been playing like a red white food deck or red, red white deck, and you come across the food deck, and you're like, well, shoot, this one might actually be a tougher matchup where red white can excel against something like blue red or, or blue white or these other nonsense decks don't really get there. Uh, this card is good at any point on the curve, and it can even sometimes get you out of some color jams. I had a, a, a case where my red-white deck, I drew only planes. And I actually ended up casting the back half of this, and it helped stabilize me. <laughs> uh, I cast some other white cards before that. I didn't just straight up die. But, you know, the, this sort of... Uh, it, it has a bit of that being able to cast either half can sometimes help you make sure you cast a card just to get something on board and, and affect the game in a way that, you know... Maybe if this was just a red or just a white card, you might not have been able to. Yeah, I think also, obviously, trigger celebration on the front half. It's pretty easy to trigger celebration on the creature half as well, because mm -hmm. you can, as we were talking about before, double spell with it. Um, those triggers in the red-white deck are hugely important as well for getting the value you need out of the cards that, that you're putting in the deck. Um, you know, things like the pie wielder or... Um, there's the mice, what's, the uh, the other celebrant, the, the two drop. Yeah, there's the celebrant. There's the flyer. There's which is higher up on the curve, so you don't necessarily see a lot of those in these decks. But there's also the the red one that gives something menace, right? Like there are a mm, lot of yeah the uh, brawl powerful brawler. celebration card. Yeah, the the brawler guy. Yeah, um, really powerful celebration cards that this card in itself can help trigger twice, which is backbreaking mm. in some of those decks. Yeah, that's true. This is kind of like two celebration triggers in a can. Uh, notably, the tokens that are made here, you don't really want to be sacking these, but sometimes, I mean, they're real enough creatures that sometimes they'll have a pacifism put on them. Maybe you put like a roll on it, they pacify it, and then you top deck your, I don't know, towards the tower, right? And then you go, okay, well, now I have another out. So the fact that this makes tokens isn't irrelevant. And obviously the mass pump trigger is great in red-white, 
because red white tends to go pretty wide it's playing one drops like ginger brute um harried spear guard that type of thing uh or maybe even creatures that have been jumped things with flying like uh princess takes flight will pump something that turn you could set it up where you fire an archon's glory off sacking something uh, and then the little buff helps you chip in for more damage and of course the, this deck does can go wide with rats too if you're touching red enough with like the uh, rat catcher trainee and you're just making a bunch of things on the board then just going super wide that'll just close out games sometimes you wind up in like a messy naya mid-range pile this is sort of a vector to itself but like red green green white these decks can both get away with running this card still along the more aggressive vector not really going for the late game uh, big mana type of deal and then you typically splash one half of the other of this uh if you're if you're adjacent to either half, I think you should try to play it and, and splash for it somehow. There's easy ways to splash even among the mana bases. Um, the the beatdown decks don't always want prophetic prisms, but like a crystal grotto or the red green decks can uh, they can play the fawn right. So uh, I think the Naya aggressive vectors can can take this one pretty highly too. Yeah, and you sometimes will end up incidentally with cards in those decks that care about the five mana val- like five mana value or greater thing. And this true. the train yeah. troops does trigger that. Uh, does you that won't too. see it you won't see it as frequently or actually want it as frequently in those decks. Uh, the vectors are way off from the, the five mana matters versus like what Imidanes or Critters are actually trying to do. But mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you'll get incidental value from it as well. And finally, you can splash this card both halves are somehow splashable now in these like splashy big blue green black piles uh where you're playing like prophetic prisms hatching plans you're taking tons of cheap removal uh and then just you know good cards like interaction bombs this counts as a bomb because this is just an efficient rate right and you can usually splash the prophetic prism-esque uh you only need the one pip right so a prophetic prism gets through there instantly same with a uh, a fawn or a crystal grotto uh, or even an evolving wilds uh, or if you have to go get a basic with like brave the wilds or something so i i've splashed this in like my you know mid-rangey late game but those types of prophetic prism decks honestly a prophetic prism in a dream that that's all you need to to cast this and then you, would, you just do the same thing right it's an army in a can you cast the front half the back half and then you know boom Take it, play it, win. <laughs> this card yeah. is straightforward. All right. So before we kind of wrap up with the draft draft hero portion of this episode, because we do want to kind of talk about a few other ancillary things, um, we do like to usually go through some runner ups that, you know, in another world where Imidane's Recruiter didn't exist, these cards might have made the cut. So um, Tough Cookies are first. That's the one in a green 2 2. Food golem at uncommon ETB create a food, and then it has a couple of activated build, activated abilities. Two and a green target non creature artifact you control becomes a four four artifact creature until end of turn. Or of course, because it's also a food, you can pay two tap it sack it to gain three life. Yeah, this card's a beater. Uh, I have done this on turn five where I had a previously existing food. Just cast tough cookie, activated my previous food, swing in for four with haste. It's a huge swing. I mean, it plays offensively, it plays defensively. Tough Cookie does it all. Really strong card. And, and uh, all of these, by the way, all of these runner-ups are performing very well on 17 lands uh, as well. But they do all you know, fall in comparison to the Recruiter. As a side note, we do not just pick Draft Shaft Heroes based on whatever Uncommon has the top <laughs> 17 lands leaderboard stats. Um, 
incidentally, sometimes that's what's true, but you know, we're, we're a little more creative than that. I just love the way the recruiter, I mean, the recruiters vary on our vibe. Yeah, we, uh, we've also used the data in the past as a tiebreaker. If Ben and I are disagreeing about a particular draft chef hero, the data will often be a tiebreaker. And if mm-hmm. we can't really figure out what the draft chef hero should be, then we also kind of tend to go to the data. We didn't need to do that for this set, but um, nah, yeah, this one think, just had the vibe. Yeah, just to circle back to on the tough cookie, I, the the crucial bit for this for me is that it gives you a, a non-creature artifact to start, and then that activated ability is at instant speed. So mm. to your point, you can use it defensively. It's very versatile in that way. And then obviously, um, what are they supposed to do? Like point removal at this thing? I <laughs> then you just sack it and gain some life. Like I, you know what I mean. Do they kill your animated food? <laughs> like, yeah, it's like or trade yeah. with it. Like, do you want to trade your? Are you interested in trading your four four for my food token? Like, right, and and then the other thing too is it's not like the the artifact loses its abilities; it just becomes a creature. So you can still sack the food in response to any removal. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. quite sick. Uh, similar, we've got Gingerbread Hunter, the 5-mana, five 5-5 five, five, ETB make of food that also has puny snack. The 2 in a black target creature gets minus 2, minus 2 to end of turn. This being an instant has been great. I mean, these types of minus-minus effects are great for either killing a creature straight up or blanking a, a fight spell, blanking a pump spell, blanking a combat trick, uh, or even just shrinking a creature mid-combat. Uh, really strong effect. And then a 5-mana, five 5-5 five, five with ETB kind of gain a bunch of life, make a food relevant for bargaining. Uh, this card hits a lot of vector points too uh, for the, for what the big green black decks want to do. Yeah, it's a little expensive on the uh, the puny snack side, right? Like we're used to an effect like this mm-hmm. being like a one mana enchantment, you know, something like dead weight. Yeah, um, that's true. Which in this set actually would have been pretty wild to have a have an enchantment that did that. I guess we got stab wound, but um, dead weight would have been great for the enchanting. T- like, what were they? What were they? Yeah, we got stab wound. We got stab wound. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, I, it's still phenomenal. I mean, it, it's overcosted, but it's attached to a creature that you can use later. It's an instant, so I think overall very worth having. And a lot of the black green decks feel like they actually feel the loss when Gingerbread Hunter's not in the deck. So next up, we've talked about it before: hatching plans, two mana, do nothing enchantment. But obviously, with all the bargain floating around in this set, it's actually a lot more than that because when it goes to the graveyard. You draw three cards. Um, it does have to go to the graveyard from the battlefield, so any of the mill effects in the set aren't going to help you get there with hatching plans. But Oh, that would be sick if it could. <laughs> yeah, when your opponent just plays the hatching plans on two, you just know they've got the bargain cards to do it because nobody plays hatching plans if they can't get rid of it. They always have it. And it's not hard. Like You don't have to play bad cards in the format to make hatching plans good. This is just a good card in the format. And... Uh, yeah, two mana draw three. I'll take it. Good card. Uh, I, I was just wondering about the art, though. Is the implication that the dragon sees the thief taking the egg and is like, it's fine. It's going to hatch later and uh, then it's going to get you. Does the dragon just not really mind? Does the thief know the dragon sees? I mean, that dragon is right there. <laughs> yeah, well, Going just by the art, I think, is a little bit difficult to find that answer. The flavor text, though, kind of implies that the dragon's just going to hatch in the eater. Yeah. I w- personally, if I was a dragon and one of my eggs was being stolen right out under no, my nose... you just eat the person. You would just eat the person, right? I don't know. Maybe this is more fun. 
look, it's it's a blue enchantment. Who are we to to, <laughs> to, to speak to the the reason of a blue do nothing enchantment? And finally, here in our runner-ups, we've got Welcome to Sweet Tooth. This one is awesome, and honestly, up there in contention with Imidane's Recruiter for Mythic Uncommons for the set. Uh, this one does a lot. It makes so much. You can bargain many different aspects of it by itself. Basically, at worst, it's a two mana three three, right? At, at floor, unless your opponent is interacting somehow. Over two three mana three three E to B to make a food. Two mana three three E to B make a food. That would just be a ridiculous card. And you have to be patient, but this does do that with a little bit of marginal upside here and there from like sacking the token to bargain, the, the human or the food, or maybe you have other food to get more counters, or maybe in response to one of the triggers, you sack Welcome the Sweet Tooth to get like an extra bargain thing. Um, there's lots that you can do with this card. Uh, it, it just plays out really well every time. All right. On to some miscellaneous topics. Um, obviously, there's a huge event last week. I happened to be in the area, but wasn't actually there. So that's a little unfortunate, but I was wondering uh, about that. Were you in Vegas at the same time as, as this was happening? So sort of, I flew into Vegas the week prior. So I got there on a Saturday, like a week before the event, but then mm-hmm. we left to come home on a Sunday. So I was technically there on the last day of worlds, but that's like the airport I, day though. It probably right. wouldn't have been able to stop by. Yeah, no, I, I didn't. I didn't make it to the convention hall or anything. Um, I wonder if you flew back with anyone. You know, maybe I even did try to pay attention on the. Yeah, I tried to pay attention on the flight, but I didn't didn't recognize anybody. So I think cool. I was flying too early because I left at. I left my flight left at noon, at that time. So they were probably uh, still yeah. in the middle of playing. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. I love watching a high level draft. You know, nothing like having. Paul Chion and Marshall Sutcliffe commentate a, a draft at the highest level. That's that, that's just good watching right there. Uh, there were some interesting overperformers. Some of the pros drafted blue, white decks that, that did really well. Some of the 3-0 decks from uh, both days one and two weren't the strategies you'd expect to see performing well based on 17 lands data. The deck lists are kind of hard to find. I didn't have a lot of luck even just looking them up online myself. A lot of them are floating around on Twitter, though, so maybe... Uh, I'll do my best to retweet any of the ones that that, that kind of pop up with uh, with the main draft chat account. So keep an eye out for that. And, I will uh, say there are some... it's an interesting dichotomy that we get with with events like Worlds or um, the Pro Tours or any of these high level televised events because very few, unless you're drafting like F and M's or you're going through like these circuits, most people aren't drafting in pods anymore. Like pod draft isn't really a thing. Uh, that's true. For the vast majority yeah. of people. So the decks that are underperforming and 17 lands isn't tracking pod drafts. It's tracking mm-hmm. our arena drafts. So the 17 lands data is generally not, I think as effective when we're looking at in-person pod drafts, because that's a good point. It, the, what, what's opened at the pod matters a lot. So yeah, a blue white deck could do very well in a, in a pod setting. Yeah, that's true. So there was another big announcement about standard. Uh, I mean, the showdowns are coming back. Standard yep. showdowns were a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Look, I remember playing standard showdowns back when I had my beloved green, white seasons pass deck. That was fun because that was just like my homebrew nonsense, bringing it 
and then just jamming it against like these meta decks. <laughs> like uh, it, it, it was fun um, and it's standard. So it, it's a slightly lower barrier of entry than, I don't know, legacy, vintage, uh, th- those types of things. Even cube can be a little intimidating, even for like a, a, a seasoned limited player. But as season limited players, we know all the cards in standard, right? Like we, we've drafted all of them. So it's usually pretty easy to port from limited into standard because, you know, we know a lot of the interactions. We might not know the decks, right? There's some really cool ones this time around. Domain Ramp, uh, Blue White Soldiers, um, Esper Legends is still kicking, you know, Shouldred, uh, all, all that stuff. Whatever, I don't care for the Esper Legends, but <laughs> but uh, there are some cool decks and I'm excited to uh, figure out which white beatdown strategy is the best. Maybe it's Soldiers, maybe it's Humans. Look, I'm going to put four Adeline in the deck and just see what happens next. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that they skipped rotation this time around, too, because they're they're, mm, they're yeah. changing the way rotation works. I don't know if we have the details on that yet, but if we do, we can throw them in the show notes for the folks who get those. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, skipping rotation kind of changes things up in terms of, you know, what's available to play with the types of decks that are able to be made. Ben made a comment in the pre-show that, you know, some of these decks, I think uh, the soldiers one you were just referring to very close to pioneer because we've got a lot of sets available to us right now in standards. So pretty interesting. Um, But we'll see how things shake out. I'm not so sure that I'm going to jump into standard. Maybe on arena I will because I don't have to buy in to anything, but Mm -hmm. we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. the the barrier of entry knowledge wise is lower and the cost is is lower too. I mean, there's good standard decks for 100, 200 bucks depending on how much you want to put out for it. Uh, and there's some there's some high level play incentives too. Uh, there's a the Magic Fest in Chicago is going to have a standard open similar to the limited 100k that was happening in Vegas. Uh, the RCQ season, uh, the third part of the season from January to March, that's going to be in standard. So look, I, I'm I'm jamming RCQs. I'm going to play in those. Uh, I guess I got to pick a good standard deck by January. And then the regional championship, uh, that's going to feature standard as well. Plus, the next pro tour will be standard. So a lot, lot of standard coming up. They're juicing it up. And uh, I guess I guess I got to play a standard. You know, I, I said I'm learning modern, but the standard meta, it's pretty interesting, too. Look, I can play against up the Beanstalk Leyline Binding in modern. I can play against it in standard. I just get to pick my poison. Uh, also kind of curious to hear. If anyone has any thoughts on the draft chaff cube inclusions from this set, there are a couple that, that I've been looking at. Uh, one is the, what is it called? Like the eight mana green spell with bargain where you get to look at the top like 20 cards put two into play. That could be a cool big mana sorcery for our big sorceries deck. That one we mentioned earlier, uh, the Borderlands Ranger, whatever that thing is. Is that a different card? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that could go pretty well. But um, again, it's kind of similar to Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of, parasitic aspects of this set things with roles don't tend to play very well with other things <laughs> and without a dedicated vector um I, I mean look the vectors in this set didn't work so it's not very likely that they're going to work with other uh, even more streamlined vectors uh but i don't know uh, you, you folks that listen you, you know our, our cube it's sick it's a lot of fun and some of you have even built it yourself which is so cool and uh, I'm curious to hear what listeners think about, you know, any standout cards from the set that you might think might be fun, worth playing in cube. And Medin's Recruiter could be looked at. We'll, we'll see if the white red deck needs it. Honestly, I don't think it needs the help. White red has been doing pretty well in our cube. And uh, last but not least, 
We've got some exciting developments for our show coming up. I, I, I don't even want to say too much. I hate spoilers and uh, I hate to spoil this, but big things are a coming tied to the Patreon, tied to some of the changes that we're making. But, you know, this is a I think we've got a big eh, not an overhaul. Maybe not, that's not the right word, but a, a big I don't know. I, it feels refreshing. Bit of a facelift. Bit of a facelift. Yeah, a facelift. That's a good way to say it. Uh, a, a, a big refresh, you know? Uh, and I, I, I've never been more excited for, for what we've got going on with the show. So yeah, totally, cool things are coming. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an exciting time to be a fan of the show. It's an exciting time to be part of the show, which if you're a patron, you absolutely are. If you're in the Discord, you're absolutely part of the show. So, um, to the Definitely. three people that always like my Twitter posts, you especially <laughs> are part of the show. <laughs> One of those is me. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, exciting things coming. We'll, of course, be continuing to roll out details and, and kind of talk with you about those changes as we get more and more concrete details on them. But, you know, hey, what's, what's life without a little hype? With that said... If you are not already there, do jump in the Discord. We would love to have you over there. Um, again, we've got channels for just about everything, every limited format, uh, most of the constructed formats, and uh, some random ones too, just for non-MTG talk as well. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so on Patreon. Again, at patreon.com forward slash draft pod. Again, kind of under construction right now, so if you, you actually won't be able to join if you're listening around when this episode releases. If you're listening to this well into the future, then go check it out. Um, we also have a store, so you can check that out at shop.draftchaff.com uh, and pick up some DraftChaff merch. If you want to support the show, that's another good way to do it as well. And you can find us on Twitter at DraftChaffPod. Thanks, folks, and we'll catch you next week. Okay, real quick. Uh, it is the start of October, more or less, by the time this episode drops. Sure. So uh, that is officially my favorite time of year, spooky Same. season. It is it is the best. I love the fall. I love everything about the aesthetics. I am pumped to go to corn mazes and uh, pumpkin picking and the usual that that type of stuff. I've already got my squash, a massive butternut squash that I use as decoration for a couple weeks because uh, those things last forever. And then I turn it into a giant soup. And the, the real thing I want to know. I've got what a month uh, to, to figure this out, but I am curious if the listener has any recommendations for me. Uh, for a good Halloween costume, because mm. <laughs> funny enough, my girlfriend and I, we already have one picked for, you know, outside event. We are going to go as the album cover of Fleetwood Mac rumors, because if you think about it, I've got like the, I've got the hair, the ponytail. It's a pretty iconic image. We just need like a stool or something for me to put my leg up on. She's got like the long flowy. It'll be cool. It's going to work. I just need like a, a button up, like a vampire type. He's not a great vampire, album but... too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nonstop. No skips. Um, but I need something for school. And let's be honest, high schoolers would not get that. I also cannot bring my girlfriend into school to make it <laughs> work. So uh, I, I need something else. Right now, I've been toying with a couple ideas. I'm considering Finn from Adventure Time because I, I have a bunch of students that have told me they uh, they like Adventure Time this year. And I, I love that show. So that'd be kind of cool. Uh, a cool thing to go as I'm open to suggestions. Uh, I, I'm considering maybe the uh, the human token from <laughs> Wilds of Veltrain. Uh Just kidding. They don't know what that is. So uh, I don't know. What, what can someone with long hair do for, for Halloween? What, what, you got any costumes in mind? 
Do I have costumes in mind? I don't even know that I'll be at parties. So I, <laughs> oh, you got to go uh, out as something. You're in Hoboken. I don't know. That, that place is I great know. for going out on Halloween. I know. I know. I'm just too introverted. Um, <laughs> I haven't thought about it. There was something that came to mind, like just spur of the moment came to mind maybe a week or two ago. And I was like, oh, I should remember that because that could be a good costume idea. And then I forgot about it. So I don't know what that was. Um, I will say, though, as we're getting into spooky season, I have already started my uh, annual rewatch of Stranger Things. So that's, oh, nice. that's going nicely. I think I'm midway through season one. And um, yeah, I can't wait for that show to finish. But uh, I don't know um, if you're watching on video listener or viewer, uh, whether that's through Spotify or on YouTube, you'll get an idea of what we both look like. So you can let us know in the discord what a, what a, a fitting costume might be. I think I, I have one rec for you. Okay. I think right now you've got a bit of a Dr. Strange thing going on. I, you know, I've got the gray <laughs> on the sides. I've got the like goatee thing. I can't, I don't think I can grow the goatee in full enough to make it like as crisp and clean as him. I guess I could pencil it in or something, um, but that's not a bad idea. And it kind of fits the aesthetic of like the art that we had drawn up for our for our MTG character That's versions true, of yeah. ourselves. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. 